0: This morning we're going to be laying a foundation for all the rest of the year. I'm really excited about that. I will invite you though to power on your Bibles, to turn to the one in the book rack as we kick off a new three-week teaching series called the Unshakable Kingdom. Who's excited? Come on now! I had a food truck out there this morning, getting us prepped and ready for a little fun this morning. Uh, But I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. If I have time, I'm going to go back through the first 18 verses. I have not had time all morning, so I doubt I'm going to have time at this service either because I have been holding everything in for a month waiting to preach. It's all going to come out this morning. So I hope you're ready to study the Bible because my scripture verses have scripture verses on top of scripture verses. and We're going to hear from hopefully the Lord and not just some fancy talking this morning. And I would encourage you, you know, kind of as I got away, I, you know, you ever reflect on life and you just realize, man, some things need to change. I got away and I realized how busy we all are. We, we think that with things opening up again in our culture after the last year, year and a half we've all had and, the, you know, the difficult trials of that time period that all of a sudden things are going to get easier again. And while some of it in some ways is, anybody identify with in some ways there's still problems? (laughs) There's still hatred and animosity and vitriol and different political sides. There's still disagreements inside and outside of the local church. There's still things that just feel like I don't ever have time for. Are you with me? Why is it in our culture today it doesn't seem like everything's always going perfectly well? anybody here, you walked in this morning, don't raise your hand, but you walked in this morning, you're like, I just, I don't know about the whole church thing in general. I just, this is like my last ditch effort. God, you better say something to me this morning. I've been there and I'm a pastor. What I want to tell you this morning is that the chaotic world in which we live in, where it seems like it's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus in our culture and society, is not too different than the first couple hundred years of Christianity. That in the first century, in the early church, Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection happened around 30, 33 A.D., somewhere in there. And after his crucifixion and resurrection, the early church gets started. And, And the first letters of the New Testament by the Apostle Paul are written around 48 or 49 A.D., By 60 to 70 AD, the Gospel of Mark is written, and we get the first accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and four accounts of the Gospels. Eventually, by the 90s AD, all of what we have in the New Testament has been written. One of the last written letters that we include in the New Testament is the letter to the Hebrews. It was circulated within the Hebrew Jewish Christian community because they had been severely persecuted. And the trials of their life, they were someone ready to cash it all in, just kind of give up on everything. Do you realize that by the time this letter is written, that a decade or two before, the emperor of Rome, Nero, had invaded Jerusalem and entirely destroyed it, the temple. The temple was where God resided. The word temple, by the way, in Hebrew is Beth El. Beth is house, El is God. So they literally built a house for God. That's what it represented to them. It had been destroyed, so you can imagine the Hebrew-Jewish-Christian community was a bit distraught. And this letter is circulated to encourage them of how to build the firm foundation of Jesus Christ in their life. And so I'm going to tell you, I might preach a little bit this morning. Don't hold it against me because I'm fired up about this. We, we have a lot of issues today. But in the first and second century, the early Christians had it much worse. By the second century AD, the emperor of Rome, uh, Marcus Aurelius, was overseeing the killing of Christians by having them burnt at the stake, taking the ashes, throwing it into the local river in some places, watching the ashes dissipate and say, how is your savior going to resurrect you now? That when it's difficult to live as a Christian increasingly in a culture around us that wants us to get distracted and fall prey to the things that the enemy desires in our life, if we don't get our life based on the rock of Jesus Christ and his firm foundation, we're going to be going all different directions. And I think you can see that. So that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. This letter that was circulated that we're unsure of who wrote it exactly uh, begins in verse 19, so there's 10 chapters uh, leading up to this, and in the first half, the first 18 verses of Hebrews 10, it talks all about the high priest of Jesus who becomes the atoning sacrifice for us. I love the book of Hebrews because it makes sense of all this Old Testament Levitical law that us as Americans uh, of non-Jewish descent have very little understanding of. But it makes sense of what Jesus actually did, what his sacrifice actually accomplished. Verse 19 says... Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Most holy place, curtain, blood of Jesus. What is this talking about? You see, to the, to the Hebrew Christian, they would have understood the imagery because for 1,500 years, they had been offering animal sacrifices where this animal would get what I deserve. The high priest would offer the sacrifice. The blood would atone or cover up for my sin and wrongdoing so that I could draw near to God and, and experience him in my life. And every time I sinned, I had to go offer it again and again. And then once a year, the big year, of past, the Passover lamb would be slain. They would offer a sacrifice there. And on the day of atonement, it was constantly over and over and over and over again. And so the first 18 verses, talk about because of the work of Jesus, that high priest sat down that no longer would we have to offer any of these sacrifices anymore. And that when it talks about this thing of the most holy, the most holy of holies was a place in the Bethel, the house of God, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You know the Ark of the Covenant, you saw Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, kept the Ten Commandments in there, and you know the presence of God resided in it. It was so much that the God's presence resided that when they walked before they had built the temple, they would go throughout the wilderness carrying it in front of them. When they would go into the battle, they would bring the ark to the front because the presence of the Lord fighting our battles was the most important thing. That preaches, doesn't it? You see, the most holy of holies, according to the Gospel of Matthew, there was a, a curtain that separated it from the rest of the temple. And the high priest only went back there once a year. He wore bells on his robes because if he messed anything up in the presence of the perfect God, he would fall over dead. They had a hook they'd pull him out with when they'd hear the bell ring. I'm not making this up, it's real. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus, the atoning sacrifice the once and for all sacrifice, so no priest has to offer these offerings ever again, is crucified on the cross. His blood atones and covers up for all of our sin and wrongdoing, not just once, not just for one year, but for all time. And that the firm foundation of our life begins with his sacrifice. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that that curtain is torn in two because the presence of God no longer resides in a box in a building. Where is it today? I was reading the the daily uh, Bible app and the, the, today's daily scripture references this, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bethel, the house of God, that he literally can commune with you, speak to you, work in you and through you, that you could accomplish things through the unique spiritual gift mix that he has given you that you could not accomplish on your own volition, power, authority. So what we were singing about earlier, that he oversees and can free us from all strongholds, that spirits cower at his name, that it's real, that he can live in your life. So that's what the Hebrew Christians understand, that we should be encouraged by that. But then it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. That act of worship that they did offering these sacrifices, the point was to draw near to God, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can draw near to God forever simply by asking for forgiveness and repentance. It goes on. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse from a guilty conscience and imagery of the sacrifice and having our bodies washed with pure water. Then here's a key verse for us this morning that we're going to revisit multiple times. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed when the crazy chaotic world we live in wants to pull us in different ways in the storm of life to hold on swervingly to the hope that we profess in Jesus. For he who promised is faithful and let us, verse 24, consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching that we build our life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, As we unpack this, you've been doing something pretty unique this morning. And after 10 years of doing this, I can say that I believe that you are speaking to people through your scripture, through your word, in a a fresh way. And I pray, God, that those of us who have been Christian a long time could actually hear from you in a fresh way, to lay the foundation for the greatest fall this church has ever seen. We have more baptisms and people coming to Christ, more outposts and huddles, more people going through Rooted than we ever have in the history of our church, not even close. That The things that we read in the New Testament are happening in this last year. So we pray, Lord Jesus, if we talk about you, the hope that we have in you as our firm foundation, speak to our soul. For those of us that walked in here and didn't know anyone or aren't even a Christian, God, we know you love them more than any human being could ever, ever love them. They experienced your presence this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. I told you, I'm going to get into it this morning because I've been away for a few weeks and uh, got some restoration, rejuvenation, and I got to also, one of the things I love about vacation, got to hang out with my family. And we got three kids, six, nine, and 12, and I love them to death. I love being a dad, even though sometimes it's difficult. Anybody? Parents out there? Come on now. I mean, yeah? Six year old got in a fist fight when we were on vacation with some random person. 12 year old didn't want to listen to it. We had lots of problems. But I tell you, it was a great vacation. And one of the things I know that I've learned over time is that God can be in the good and he can be in the hard things because I love seeing the kids begin to grow up and learn what it means to become a person of character who follows the ways of Jesus. It's really fun. Some of the fun things are like my six-year-old Jet, he, in the last few months, learned how to ride a bike without training wheels because my wife is an awesome coach and showed him how to do it. And so he wants to ride all over the neighborhood, everywhere he goes, he has to take his bike with him. He also, in the last year, year and a half, he got really into magnetiles. Anybody know what magnetiles are? Yeah, like three people. It, I found this morning most people don't know they are very expensive gifts that grandparents like to buy grandchildren. Because you know the old school blocks aren't good enough anymore. Now we got magnets in them and you can build all these cool structures. Jet loves magnetiles. And when we first started getting them, he would get really frustrated because he would like build it and he'd start building it up and piling things on top of each other and then it would all collapse. And he'd get really mad and frustrated and understand why it's going to collapse. And over time, he began to learn, if I build the foundation of this little house that I'm building a little stronger, then it will withstand. And now he'll build two or even three-story mansions that he put all his little action figures in within the magnet tiles, and he'll play for days on it. I want to tell you this morning that building the firm foundation of your life, even those of you who have been a Christian for a while of connecting with the Lord on a daily basis in prayer, in scripture, in God's word, beginning with the simple act of allowing the unshakable kingdom of God to reside in your life. Because in the last year and a half, I believe that some of us have turned away from that firm foundation. And we've seen it because when things are hard, can I be honest, it's tough for me sometimes. I told you I got away and I'm going to be honest with you this morning. You realize how chaotic your life is and how you're just like trying to survive sometimes. And my thing, I love to just kind of veg out and watch TV a little bit. I get a little, you know, you know Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus going. And I, I love that. Just kind of avoid the problems of the world. And now Loki's amazing. You should all watch it, but that's a side note. But I'll tell you that maybe that's you this morning. That you've been just kind of escaping from the issues of the world rather than allowing God to use you in the middle of those issues. We've also seen some people that in a time period before COVID, we were more isolated than any time probably in human history. Even those of us as Christians kind of doing our own thing rather than experiencing the presence of the local church that we are meant for community with one another to build our firm foundation in him and on him and his word in community with other believers and other Christians. And maybe instead of turning to Netflix or vegging out, maybe you have turned to drugs or to alcohol just to avoid the escape this life and the struggles that you're facing. Maybe for you, it has been romantic relationship to romantic relationship. Maybe for you, it has been the next advancement in your career or that next investment or portfolio or the next fun vacation. I just came from a vacation, but I'll tell you, I don't want to The foundation of my life on a vacation. This morning we are going to look at that the firm foundation of Jesus uh, is the rock of our life. We use this graphic here because I love this imagery. That rock has stood the test of time no matter the earthquakes or the wind or the storms that came, it still stands and it will continue to stand no matter what happens. The unshakable kingdom, the, the local church, no matter how easy or difficult things get, it will stand the test of time. Scripture teaches us it will be unshakable if we hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess in Christ. Now, I I told you I got a lot to share. I want to talk about the unshakable kingdom of God that won't collapse easily in your life. If you build your life off of vacations or drugs or alcohol or romantic relationship, or you'll finally be happy when you find that special someone, eventually it will come crumbling down. Look at 2008 to 2010. If we built our life on that financial aspect and the real estate market dissolved, many people, their whole lives crumbled. I can tell you, that the hardest thing I ever went through in my life, you guys know, losing a child while planting a church. The only thing that got me through, I was angry. I, in some ways, wanted to turn from the Lord, but instead I turned to him. And it was his presence that became the unshakable thing in my life that helped me get through that time. And if you are missing that, and I believe that many of us in Western culture are, this life's gonna be brutal. The Hebrew Christians understood from this letter to hold on to the hope that they professed in Jesus as the firm foundation of your life. So the unshakable kingdom, I'm going to give you some notes here. If you want to be a part of that, the first thing you need to do is to draw near to God, to draw near to God. Some of us, we don't start there. When things are going poorly in our life, we try and fix the problem, don't we? Struggling financially, We go out and get a second job, even a third job, and that may be the right thing to do, but we never even talk to the Lord about it once. (laughs) Struggling with a addictive habit, you get the support groups and counseling, and I encourage you, please do those things. But never even turn to to go, God, how can you help me here? Surround me with the right people in my life. Help me to take next steps of faith. I want to tell you today that the unshakable kingdom of God begins with drawing near to Jesus in your life. Verse 22, it said, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Some of you have come in here and you have some guilt and some shame from things that were years, even decades ago. He don't want you to live that way. He wants you to draw near to him, be washed in Christ to be no longer live with that guilty conscience of the things that you've had in your life. So that verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. What would it mean today? If you were truly going to draw near to God with a sincere heart, as this letter to the Hebrew Christians says, what would that look like? If you were going to draw near to God today, this week, with a sincere heart, this next few months, what would that life look like? Would it look different than today's life? As I was preparing this, the answer for me was yes. See, I believe that the things that we have seen, the kingdom of God at hand today, that, that we have wasted so much of our lives on things that we will not care about in 100 years. But if I draw near to the Lord with a sincere heart, he could grow me into the person he desires for me to be. I believe that the Christian worldview is that God created you, redeemed you, and it desires a relationship with you. Yes, even you. Not your grandparents. Not, not just your, your son or your daughter. Not just someone else. He wants a relationship with you. The Bible teaches us that temple curtain was torn in two, that the presence of God can reside with you. You can hear from God in your life. You could never be alone again. No matter what storm comes, you know he's with you. Do you desire to draw near to him with a sincere heart? The unshakable kingdom of God that withstands all the struggles of this life is yours by beginning to draw near to him. Number two, that we also then stand together. We don't just draw near to God, we draw near to one another. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Day capitalized because it's talking about the second coming of Jesus. We don't know if we will pass away first or if Jesus will return for us, but one day we will see our creator face to face. And what will we have done with the time that we were given? This passage tells us to draw near to one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that that if we actually did that, that if we draw near to God and stand together, anything is possible. Do you believe that? That anything is possible? Because I want to tell you, it has become increasingly easy as a Christian, particularly with great online teaching and communication, that that you could very easily uh, draw near to God but never work with any other believers to lead an isolated Christian life, which is not what the Lord tells us to do. And I find it very interesting that the Bible tells us it refers to the church, the unshakable kingdom of God. It refers to it as the bride of Christ. So if we say, I love Jesus, but not the church, you're telling Jesus you don't like his bride. Now I'm gonna tell you one thing, I'm not a perfect person, but you say some negative things about my wife, you and I are gonna share words. And the reason we do that is because the church is full of sinners, it's full of people who are broken and hurting, I heard a pastor share this this week, I saw multiple people posting online, Pastor Brian Lauretz, and he said that, You know, a lot of times we go to church, I'm paraphrasing, and we're looking to find friends. And you may find friends in church, but the church is not just a place to find friends. It's family. And family's different than friends. Family works things out together, stands with each other when things are hard and when they're not. Mourns with one another, is there for each other. We all got that crazy family member that we're embarrassed of their life choices, amen? We still love them because what? They're family. That the church is the family of God, that we love each other through thick and thin, and if we draw near to God and stand together, anything is possible. That's why we should be the place where racial reconciliation is at the forefront of our ministries because you can see people actually love each other rather than just seeing things wrong with each other. That's why we should actually see the communities changed and grow, draw near to people who are hurting and impoverished and living out on mission with one another because we care as Christians because that's our brothers and sisters and we want to be there for them. Family looks different. If we stand together with the local church, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, work out the problems as family together, anything is possible. That whole thing about reaching a million people for Christ in the state of Indiana before we die by the year 2050, It's possible. And it's happening in our lifetime. And if you're not experiencing that type of community and all you know of the local church is this, You're missing out on all the underground aspect of what we do, rooted, huddles, outposts, communities on mission all over the city making impact. We have more outposts and huddles than ever before and they are rapidly expanding. We wanna get you connected. If you've already been through Rooted, fill out a connect card. We will help you get connected. If you haven't been through Rooted, the next one starts in September. We must stand together, draw near to the Lord. And then number three, hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And I got a lot of scripture to share here. So I hope you're prepared, because some of you, I know it, you were like, "Uh, it's getting close to lunchtime, and I got some things I'm thinking about. I want you to see what Jesus has to say in these words. In verse 23, he said, or the, the, the writer of Hebrews says again, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We hold unswervingly, make that the foundation the the unshakable kingdom. Our lives can't fall apart. We can get through anything if we build it on Jesus Christ. Why? Because the end of the verse, he is faithful. And here's what I've seen most Western American Christians. we, We believe in God. We like the idea of going to heaven when we die, but we don't always trust that he's going to be faithful to us. You better prove yourself, God. And we give God little carrots to show himself that he's going to be faithful. You, I'm, you better give me him or her. And once you do, and you give me this and that, then, I'm, then, then I'll trust you. Hey, if I could tell you the best things in my life have happened when I just faithfully was obedient to what I believe the Lord was telling me to do, that he spoke to me through scripture or through prayer. And the times where my life hasn't gone well is when I built my life when I was the captain at my own wheel. You know, uh... I'll share a story with you. I told you just got away. went up to northern Michigan, and uh, uh, before we went up there, I asked my daughter. She's nine. She's the sweet one, so she gets whatever she wants. <laughs> and I was like, what do you want to do while we're up there? And the boys, you know, they want to do all these sports and activities and all this. She's like, I want to go fishing. <laughs> and I was like, okay, because last year, her and I went out, and in five minutes, caught the largest bass that I've ever caught in my life. And so she's th- she thinks that's what fishing's like. So I was like, great. I got to up my game a little bit, and so I decided uh, we're going to go. I got some friends together, got a little charter boat, went out on Lake Michigan to go fishing for trout, and I'd never done anything like this. Some of you fishermen are going to discover. I don't know what I'm talking about, but this is what it was like. We get on the boat. There's a group of us, just my daughter and I and some other friends, and we're going out onto Lake Michigan, and we're driving and going along. I don't know. Do you call it driving? We're on the boat. We're on a boat on the lake, And then all of a sudden, I'm like, good, we're a little ways from the shore. It's been five or 10 minutes, time to start fishing. And the captain's like, no, we're not there yet. I'm like, what are you talking about? He keeps driving, we keep going. 45 minutes later, still on this boat, and I'm going, What? there was plenty of water for the last 45 minutes to fish. Had I been at the wheel, we would have stopped 100 times by now, cast something out there, and I probably could have caught a fish. Instead, of been sitting on this boat. We get all the way out. 45 minutes goes by, and he's like, we're there. Like, about time. What's been wrong? So he's like, okay, we'll just watch this. He puts the lines out, and he puts like eight, nine, ten different lines out at the same time, and we do something called trolling. I don't know, fisher people. Do you know what that? I thought it had to do with the internet. Nothing to do with the internet. We start pulling these lines, and the next thing we you know, my daughter catches like a 10 or 12-pound trout. Within the next 20 to 30 minutes, we hooked our entire limit of fish. And I just got to show this because I was literally on Lake Michigan and sent this, not yet, I sent this photo to Pastor Luke Edgerton. Because Luke used to be our student pastor. Now he's the lead pastor of Mercy Road Northwest, doing a fantastic job. They baptize all kinds of people. He fishes all the time, always telling me about this rod, this reel, this line, this bobber. I don't know if he uses bobber, whatever. He's like, you got to do that. And you know what? I went on his fi- and I caught the biggest fish, a bigger fish than Luke Edgerton ever caught in his entire life. <laughs> Check this out, baby. Yeah. Oh, I was like, yes. So I sent this to Luke. I sent the picture to him. I know I couldn't clean up or anything. We could take the picture down, but it was just this huge fish. I was so excited. He's like, you didn't catch it. I sent him the video. And you know what? I, I, I decided after this fishing trip, because it like, totally made my life, and for like the next year, I just get to smile every time I see Luke. Uh, you know what? Luke spends all this time trying to be the best fisherman in the world. I decided I don't need to be a good fisherman. I just need to know the right captain. Yeah. Yeah. 45 minutes. I'd have thrown that line out there so many times. He's like, the fish aren't there. We get all the way out in one instant. Within literally 20, 30 minutes, we catch our entire limit. The Hoosman household gonna be eating trout for years. <laughs> trout coming out of our ears. I want to tell you today, what if? All the struggles and the hard parts of your life, that you keep working harder and striving more and more to try and fix the problems that are there. And I don't know what your problems are. We have so many different ones in our culture today. The things that overwhelm you, the things that you just wish, oh man, what if? What if? What if you knew the person, the being that was almighty God that created you, knitted you together in your mother's womb, knows every hair on your head, has been there since the creation of the world, is outside of, his, of time. His providence is nothing you can't even fathom or understand his presence and what he is capable of doing. What if he was at the wheel instead of you? Because he knew the problems that were going to come. I don't know about you but I want to make him the rock, the firm foundation of my life, because I no longer want to be the captain anymore, because he knows where the fish already are. And some of you are like, I got a little more to share here. Some of you are like, but Josh, Like, what hope do we we really have today? Do you know how much Jesus made it clear to you, the hope that you have? In Matthew chapter 16, he takes the youth group, a bunch of teenagers, to Caesarea Philippi. I want to show you a map of Caesarea Philippi. He's on his way north towards Capernaum. He goes all the way past Capernaum and goes to Caesarea Philippi on his way to Capernaum. Why would he do that? Caesarea Philippi is one of the most pagan places in the ancient Near East. They worshiped the god Pan, who was the god of the underworld, where the he would arise from Hades. And there, in the city of Caesarea Philippi, they had this rock called the Rock of the Gods. Where in that building, let's show it really quickly, they had different places to worship this god Pan. And in the, the, you can kind of see a cave in the lower left. That's where he would arise from the underworld. And then he would desire worship by having relationships with the nymphs. It's where we get that term from, these women. It's where we get the term nymphomaniac from. That was the heinous things happening in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus took the youth group there. Why? Look what it says in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the Catholic Church would teach that Jesus was the first bishop of Rome. They would consider the first pope. And so that's what this is referring to as, as Peter. And while there may be some accuracy to that, I would say that first and foremost, he is saying this in Caesarea Philippi, where the rock of the gods is. So when he talks about the rock, and look what it says next. I will build on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. They're literally standing at the gates of Hades where the god Pan was supposedly this false god would arise from the underworld. little side note, kind of looks like a devil goat being thing. A little bit like Loki, but that's a whole other thing. But what I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus says the gates of Hades. You can be even in the culture like that pagan, horrible, heinous place and you can live for Jesus if you make him the firm foundation of your life. You can withstand the difficulties and the trials of this world and the temptations that are surrounded around you. If you stop trying to escape to the drugs and the alcohol and the avoidance and Netflix, if you stop trying to work your way and achieve your way into the presence of God and simply repent of your sin, accept the salvation of Jesus Christ and build your life on him as your firm Foundation, he will build his house on that rock because he is the rock, and the gates of Hades itself will not stand. We're going to post a video that gets some more detail online this week. I didn't have time to show it this morning, but I want to tell you, he tells you the rock that you should build your life on multiple times throughout scripture. In 1 Corinthians 10 4. And drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. He's the foundation. The Lord is my rock, Psalm 18, 2. My fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take my refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I build my life on him and him first and foremost and not the other things that this culture tells me to. 1 Corinthians 3, 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ. Finally, you remember that story about to build your house on the rock or the sands, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, which is Christ. I know we got some wise men and women in here. And if some of us need to lay that firm foundation this morning, repent of the things we've made this life about. Stop trying to be the captain at the wheel. Receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Repent of our sin. Surrender everything to it. Some of us have been Christians for decades. We have gotten so distraught and distracted and busy with so many things that they're not going to matter a hundred years from now. And we are wasting our lives when He says the gates of Hades won't stand against the local church. That the, that the unshakable kingdom of God is really at hand. It's possible. We're seeing in our lifetime, if we draw near to him, we stand together, we hold on swervingly to the hope of Christ. Anything can happen. But it begins this morning with giving up the other rocks that we've built our life on, the other things that are just shifting sands that eventually fall away, whether that has been those escapes that you've had, the drugs and the alcohol or the relationships. Maybe it's been that you've just been so angry at God or other people because of things that you have experienced. There is still sin in this world, and there are still human beings, but we are family, and family works things out because it doesn't just last now. It lasts for eternity. And so I'm going to call all of us as a local church as we build the foundation for the entire fall to begin with repentance. This beautiful thing where you ask for forgiveness, you turn and do a 180, you stop trying to be the captain because this captain knows where all the fish in your life really are. Will you pray with me, Lord, I don't want to do this life on my own and I got to be honest, I feel like I've even gotten distracted at times. And I know that For many of us in here, there are things in our life right now that we, if we're just being honest, we are going to regret when we get to heaven. And then there are some of us, God, that we've been to the gates of Hades and we haven't been able to follow you there because we have given in to all kinds of temptations. And we come to you and we just ask for forgiveness, God. We thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your love is for us, that you love us more than any human being ever will, that there is no human being that you will ever turn your back on, that you will pursue us and pursue us and pursue us until the very end of time. You just ask us to turn to you in obedience, trust you and follow you, to say that I'm gonna hold unswervingly to your hope. So if that's you here this morning and you would like to surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ, whether for the first time or you're a Christian that just needs to start living for him again, repent of some things in your life, I invite you, pray this silently as I pray it out loud. I confess I'm not perfect. I need you. I repent of following all the distractions of this world. I'm going to prioritize you in my life on this day. July 18th, 2021, I surrender everything in my life to your Lordship. Use me, Lord. I'm going to wake up in the morning, and rather than reading the news, I'm going to read your word. Rather than turning to my friend and gossiping, I'm going to turn to you, Lord. I'm going to ask for your help daily. Use us, Lord Jesus. We surrender everything to you. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.